Before we begin this morning, I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 7. We've been going through this weekend with your students uh, through the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, 7, and 8. And uh, before we read our passage and get to what the Lord wants to say to us today, let me just uh, tell you as a church, uh, thank you. Uh, so much for allowing me the privilege to get to spend uh, this past weekend with your teenagers and teach the Bible to them. I'd like to thank uh, Joe for inviting me, and uh, then I'd also like to very much, and I think I've told this every time I've seen him, but, but Dr. Anthony for granting me the privilege uh, to get to preach the Word, not only to the students, but to get to share his pulpit uh, this morning. Uh, and I just want him to know that is a great responsibility that I take very serious, and thank you for the opportunity to do so. Uh, well, the song that, that uh, Ross just uh, sang for us about the cross and, and, the, and the testimony behind it about having confidence over death and the grave is, is one of the things that, that we're going to talk about today. Uh, that we've been going to, like I said, with your students, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, and Jesus is, the whole point of Jesus teaching the Sermon on the Mount was he was teaching them what it meant to be a true disciple of his. That, that it begins for us in, in, in chapter 5 and, and in verse 1 that, that, that what had been going on is crowds had been following him around. And then as the crowds began to grow, we're told that he went up on the mountainside. He sat down. His disciples came to him. And then he began to teach them. And, and the goal that he had of teaching his disciples was, was he trying to tell them, listen, if you are truly going to follow me, this is what it entails. Uh, and, and the real key to understanding why it's important that you and I are a disciple of Jesus Christ, because it is only disciples of Jesus Christ that inherit eternal life. And so if someone is not a disciple of Jesus Christ, guess what? They don't go to heaven. And so Jesus wanted to make it very clear to those that were going to follow him around and be his disciples, be his followers, what he expected of them, but also this, that, that that's the way to eternal life. That's the way to eternal life. Um, I, I pastor a, a church in Norman, Oklahoma. And here recently in, in our church, there's a gentleman who's been a, a, a pillar of, of our church for years and years and years and years. And I guess it was about three weeks ago. He, he'd had some illness things going on with him, and they could never quite figure out what, what was the problem. And, and then one day... Uh, I got a phone call from his wife, and, and I answered the phone. I know that he had had tests, and so I was expecting to hear the results of the test. And, and when I said hello, and I could hear just the tone in her voice that it wasn't good, and, and then she said, uh, she said, well, we found out that he has stage 4 pancreatic and liver cancer, and they've told us there's really nothing they can do about it. Because if you can imagine, right, you don't even know him, and you hear that story, and your heart sinks. I mean, so immediately my, my heart sunk, and, and uh, you don't know how you are, Pastor, in those situations. I just don't know what to say. <laughs> and, uh, and as a pastor, right, they're waiting for something uh, to say, and, and I don't know what to say. And so when he got home, uh, uh, I knew I needed to go visit him in his home, right, and talk to him, and 
And I told his wife, I said, you know, I'm, I'm really struggling what, what to say because, you know, I hurt for him. I'm, I'm sorrowful for you, for your family, and I don't know what to say. And then uh, the, the day that I had scheduled to go in and see him, uh, I had read in my Bible out of uh, Hebrews chapter 2. In Hebrews chapter 2 and verses 14, it's speaking about Jesus who took on flesh. And, it, and we're told there in Hebrews chapter 2 verse 14 that he took on flesh that through death he might destroy the works of the one who has power over death. That is the devil. And then we're told in verse 15 there of Hebrews chapter 2 that he might free those who all their life were held in slavery by the fear of death. And so I went into his home just a few weeks ago and kneeled down beside his bed there. And, and I told him, I said, Elmer, you know, I've, I've really struggled what to say. I said, this morning I was reading my Bible and I found great confidence. Because, Elmer, do you know the Lord? And he was like, yes. And I said, Elmer, are you a follower of Jesus? And I, and I know his life, so I, I know what the answer was going to be. And he was like, Yes. And he was in great, he was, a matter of fact, in all this, he's been one of the best spirits of anybody. And I said, Emerson, here's, here's why. Here's, here's why we have great confidence. Is there's one who came that you believe in, that he destroyed the works of the devil, and actually took power over death. And Emerson, now you are free from the fear of slavery of death because of Christ. And what we spent this weekend talking to your students about is what I want to talk to you about today, Right? Because I hope that you know that you are freed from slavery of the fear of death. But not only do I want you to know that in a sense where you feel good about yourself, but I want you to feel good about it from a sense of how Jesus spoke about it. Because only those who are freed from the slavery of fear of death truly are those who know Jesus Christ as their Savior, as their Lord. And it is evidence because they are a disciple of His And sadly, we live in a day where there are so many people who think that they were a follower of Jesus Christ when, in fact, they are not. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul put it this way in uh, Titus chapter 1 and verse 16. For they profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny him. They are disobedient, detestable, and unfit for doing anything good. Uh, Almost a century ago, a guy by the name of A.W. Pink, he said this. He said, and this was a century ago, so just imagine how much his mind would be blown today in our day. That's what he said. He said, never were there so many millions of nominal Christians on the earth as there are today. Never were there such a small percentage of real ones. We seriously doubt there has ever been a time in the history of the Christian era when there was such a multitude of deceived souls within the church, who verily believe all is well with their soul, when in fact the wrath of God abideth on them. And we know of no better calculated way to undeceive them than the full and faithful exposition of the closing verses of the Lord's Sermon on the Mount. So how can we know that that we are freed from the fear of the slavery of death? Well, Jesus tells us how. Jesus tells us how. So let's look here in Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 15, at what the Lord says. He says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every good tree bears good fruit, 
but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you shall know them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who builds his house on the rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the wind blew and beat beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But whoever hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the wind blew and beat on the house, and it fell, and great was its fall. And so it was, when Jesus had ended these sayings, that the people were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Let's pray together. Father, I love you. And Father, I thank you for this day in which you've given us. And Father, I thank you for this day because it's the day we get to celebrate the fact that Jesus rose from the grave. And that, Father, since that day, there have been countless multitudes who have gathered today to celebrate the fact that the grave is empty that Christ has triumphed over the grave so that we might have hope. And, Father, I pray today that, Father, you would grant two things that we're in desperate need of. Father, number one, I pray that I would rightly and faithfully proclaim your word, that the words that I say would would not have their, their origin in me, but just from the text. And I would preach it faithfully and obediently and passionately. Let's do your word. And then, Father, if you would grant faithful preaching of your word, then, Father, we ask for a second thing. And, Father, that's faithful hearing and listening and responding to your word. Father, may we not simply be hearers of your word today, but may we be doers of it. And, Father, only by your spirit can you come and bring this about. So, Father, please accompany your word with your spirit to have its full effect in our lives this morning. And it's in Christ's name that we pray these things. In the power of the Holy Spirit that we do so. I love you, Father. Amen. Well, what I want us to see here in this passage that we read are, are a few things that, that characterize a true disciple of Jesus Christ. Well, what are some characteristics of a, of a true disciple of Jesus Christ? And also in this, as Jesus taught, we're also going to see some things that characterize a false disciple of Jesus Christ. Uh, and so as we read this passage in, in verses 15 through 20, we see this, uh, that, that a true disciple of Jesus Christ produces fruit. A true disciple of Jesus Christ produces fruit. Uh, it, it, is, it is amazing to me that in American Christianity, we really think there is such a thing as a fruitless Christian. Now the problem with that, right, is it's unbiblical. The problem with the, with the idea of a fruitless Christian, a, a Christian who gives no evidence in their life that they are a true disciple, the problem with that is, is that is not the teaching of the Bible. That a true disciple of Jesus Christ produces fruit in their life. 
As a matter of fact, he, he tells us here, he said, listen, you, you can recognize them. You, you can know if someone truly belongs to me. You can know if someone's truly a disciple is, is, is they will live for me. And he said, don't be fooled by people who come to you, right, in sheep's clothing, that if there's no fruit in their life, they're actually a wolf. And one of the things that's so sad in our day is we think that you can actually be a sheep in wolf's clothing. <laughs> I got that secret for you. That's not a thing. There is no such thing as a sheep in wolf's clothing. But how many people do we know that we, we, we say this about them? Well, they might be saved. Why do you think that? Well, I know how they live and I know how they act, but, but maybe, maybe they are. No, no, there's no such thing as a sheep in wolf's clothing. And so evidence that one is a true disciple of Jesus Christ is their life produces fruit. So it brings this question to mind. Well, what, is, what is fruit of a sheep, of a follower, of a disciple of Jesus Christ? What is this fruit that Jesus speaks about? Well, well I think it's two things. I think, number one, there is the fruit of repentance. There is the fruit of repentance. Do you know the first words that we have recorded for us when Jesus began his public ministry? It's back over in, in, as we have our Bible put together for us. In Matthew chapter 4 and in verse 17, Jesus began his public ministry. You know the first words that he proclaimed from his mouth in his ministry? This, This is what it was. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. Listen, the fruit of repentance is that you recognize, you recognize that your sin is an affront to God, that my sin is an affront to God, that my sin leads me away from God, not to God, that my sin makes me a wolf, that my sin causes me to live in a manner that cannot glorify God, and, by, and when I cannot glorify God, it is not for my good and only for my harm. That's why Jesus would say, In Luke chapter 13 and verse 3, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And what he said before that statement was, listen, you likewise must repent and bear fruit in keeping with repentance. It's what Peter would, would preach. Repent then and turn to God that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord at Acts chapter 3 and verse 19. Listen, is there evidence in your life, is there evidence in my life that we have turned from sin and to God? Charles Haddon Spurgeon put it this way, we would never say that someone was saved from drowning in the lake while they still were there in the midst of the lake. Listen, is there fruit of repentance in your life? Not just that you recognize that you were a sinner in need of grace, but that you turned from your sin and you turned from God. And isn't this the glorious truth of the gospel? That what Jesus Christ did on the cross and the elements that we partook of today is that he not only bore the curse 
of our sin and took the penalty of our sin, but he freed us from the chains of it. We love the line, right? Be to sin the double cure, freed from wrath, and make me pure. Listen, a true disciple of Jesus Christ bears fruit, and there is the fruit of repentance. But there's another fruit here, and it goes hand in hand with repentance. It is the fruit of obedience. It is the fruit of obedience. It's not just that we turn from sin and say, God, I I know I shouldn't be doing this, and God, I know this is wrong, and I know this is harmful, and I know this leads me away from you. But, But we turn from sin, and then what do we do? We now go another direction. And what does that direction look like? It looks like obedience to God. It looks like obedience to God. That's what Jesus would say in John chapter 14 and verse 21. He who has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and we too will come to him. So we're told in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 3, this is love for God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Listen, what, what fuels the fruit of obedience in our lives? It's simply this. We've been set free from the chains of sin. That Christ died, his body was broken, his blood was shed for us. And so we're not obedient that we might be saved. We're obedient because we have been saved. Right? You, you want to look like a sheep. Why? Because God has made you a sheep. That I was a wolf. That I went away from God. That I was in change to my sin. And Jesus came and has done what? He's freed me from it. And so I chase after God in obedience. And you will chase after God in obedience. Listen, salvation comes with a change of mind that always leads to a change of action. And don't miss that. Salvation comes with a change of mind that always leads to a change of action. There is no such thing There's no such thing as a sheep in wolf's clothing. They bear fruit that shows that we are. The second category that Jesus spoke about here was was he spoke about false disciples have false confidence. False disciples have false confidence. I've said this often in my ministry that the scariest verses in all of the Bible to me are Matthew chapter 7 verses 21 through 23. To me, it's it's the scariest verses in all of the Bible. Because there are people who are going to stand before God in judgment day who honestly think they are getting in and are going to be shocked that they don't get in. I mean, this is is not speaking to the Hitlers and the Stalins, uh, right, of the world. This is not speaking to the most hardened criminal that maybe you've read about and seen on TV this week. This thing about people that not only they, but, but other people think, man, they're getting into heaven. And they stand before God, and guess what? They're shocked that they're not getting in. They're shocked that they're not getting in. And they're shocked because they have a false confidence. And the first false confidence that they have is they have the false confidence of knowledge. It's this idea that, that, that they know the story of Jesus. Again, in, in the text here, they, they, they make a right declaration about Jesus. They, they call him Lord, Lord. And so they, they know who Jesus is. And they think that's simply because they know who Jesus is that they're getting in heaven. They're, they're, they're a lot like me, right? My, my dad's a pastor. My, my history is this. 
right? Uh, I, I am a fifth-generation Baptist preacher. And so I, I, have, I have five kids. Three of them are sons. Just pray for them, right? Uh, so right, who, uh, right, pray for them, uh, right? I have, I'm a fifth-generation Baptist preacher. I grew up in church, right? It was, was not a, not a choice. And there, there's, actually, there's actually never been a time in my life, never, that if you would have asked me, Matt, do you know who Jesus is? That I wouldn't tell you. Well, yeah. Matt, do you know what Jesus did? Well, yeah. Matt, do you know what it takes to go to heaven? Well, yeah. But guess what? I haven't been saved my whole life. God graciously rescued me as a teenager. But I knew all the, I knew Jesus. I knew who he was, and I would even tell you I didn't disagree with anything that the Bible said about him. But I wasn't saved. Matter of fact, James put it, puts it this way in James chapter 2 and verse 19. You say you believe in God great, even the demons believe, and they shudder. Again, look here, look here at the text. Look here at the text. Look, look, look what it's telling us here. What's going to happen in the throne room of heaven is not how often we think about it. When we stand before God in the throne room of heaven, he's, he's not going to do this. He's not going to look at you and then look over at Jesus and go, do you know who that is? And we go, oh, yeah, that's Jesus. He died on the cross. He's going to go, great, enter into paradise. That's not going to be what happens in the throne room of heaven. But in the throne room of heaven, what's going to happen is this. According to the text here, right, God's going to look at Jesus and say, Jesus, do you know him? Jesus, do you know her? And the final declaration to get in is not what we, right, recognize about Jesus. It's just going to go, yeah, I know them. They followed me. They produced fruit in my life, in, in their lives from me. It's not gonna, he's not going to look at us and say, hey, do you know him? He's going to look at Jesus and go, Jesus, Jesus, do you know Matt McIntosh? And, and the second thing here, and, th- and this is where it gets scary to me, is, that there is, is there, there's the false confidence of knowledge. But did you know this? There can be the false confidence of good works. Now, now I want to be clear. I, I, I do not think that, that Jesus is referring to the same people here. Because he speaks of it in two different ways. Because you have to have both of these. But there are those who have the false confidence of good works. And what he's saying here is there will be those who stand before God on judgment day. And they will think that they're going to get into heaven because of something that they have done. Right? We did all the right things. And so, Jesus, we will get in because we did all these things that you asked us to do. We, we talked last night to, to your students in, in chapter 6 about all these things, right? We, we gave and we prayed and we fasted and, and, and we did all these things, God. So because we did all these things, right, surely we're getting into heaven. And you know this, right? I hope you know this. If you don't know this, listen very clearly this morning. So we're told in Ephesians chapter 8, verses 8 and 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. And so it's this idea that there's this fruit of obedience, right, in your life and in my life if we're truly a disciple of Jesus Christ. But this fruit of obedience in our life, we don't do it so that we might be saved. We do it because we are saved. And there's a huge difference between the two mindsets. 
And so if you're here today and you came to church today because you're hoping by coming to church that you might do these things and then God might accept you, let me tell you, he won't accept you because you came to church today. Well, man, I was in downtown Richmond and there was a homeless guy on the street and and I gave him some food. Guess what? You won't be saved because you gave the homeless guy some food. Well, I got a widow neighbor, and I went and mowed her lawn. Awesome. I'm glad you did that. That's a nice thing to do. But guess what? You will not go to heaven because you mowed your widow's neighbor's lawn. And there are many who are, who are false disciples who are going to be shocked before God in judgment day. And they're going to be shocked because they did all these things. And they think because they did all these things, God ought to accept them. And guess what? There is never enough good that you can ever do to pay for the sin that you have done. Never. And the only hope for you, the only hope for me, is the mercy and grace of Jesus Christ. Well, quickly, there are a couple other things that I want to say before we wrap this up. We get the great story of the wise man who built his house upon the rock and the foolish man who built his house upon the sand. And it leads us to the, the, the next thing about a true disciple. A true disciple builds their life upon the rock. A true disciple builds their life upon the rock. In other words, is, is your life characterized by living for Jesus? Is your life characterized by what the Apostle Paul said in his letter in Colossians chapter 3, verses 3 and 4? For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, you will also appear with him in glory. Is your life characterized by what Jesus would say in Luke chapter 9, verses 23 through 25? If anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself daily, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake shall find it. For what would it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit or lose his very soul? Listen, when you look at your life, what is it built upon? Who do you live for? What would others say is your life? And rest assured, people who know you, they will tell you what they think your life is if you're confused. We said this to your students last night, and I want to say it to you. Jesus cannot be secondary in your life, and you actually be a follower of his. There is no such thing, no matter how much we say there is in American Christianity, there is no such thing biblically as a casual follower of Jesus. And I just want to let you know, if you are here today and you are a casual follower of Jesus, guess what? You're not really following him. And the only one deceived on the matter is yourself, but not the Lord. And the last thing that we see here is as Jesus concluded his sermon, right? is that when Jesus finished speaking, they were amazed. And so a true disciple responds to the authority of Jesus' word. A true disciple responds to the authority of Jesus' word. Because then, not only did Jesus' disciples draw to him, but, it, but in the setting here, there, there was actually a great crowd who, who, who heard what Jesus had to say. Uh, there were those, as we spoke to your young people on Friday night, those who came for the show. There were those who came to get out of it, what they could in an earthly way from Jesus. And then there were his disciples. But I believe as Jesus taught this, it wasn't just his disciples, but he was speaking to them. But there were many who heard it. And, and when he was done talking, their reaction was this. It was like, 
wow, this guy speaks with authority, not like anyone we've heard before. So, so don't miss this, right? A true disciple doesn't just acknowledge that Jesus has authority. He has authority. But a true disciple responds to that authority by, again, doing what Jesus says. Listen, the question for you today and the question for me today is not this. Do you believe that Jesus has authority? And just saying that you believe Jesus has authority is one thing. The real proof that you believe in that authority as the hope of your life is this, is you surrender over to that authority. And so when Jesus asks you to do something, commands you to do something through his word, do you do it? Because here's the deal. We don't make Jesus authoritative. He is. (laughs) Right? He is. Whether, whether we like it or we don't like it, right? Whether we like it or we don't like it. In, in the past several years of our nation, but particularly, right, the past eight and going forward to the past four, you will hear this very often. Well, that's not my president. Really? Who is? Right? Are you a citizen of the United States of America? Like it or not, guess what? Your president the past eight years has been Obama. And unless something happens in the next four years, your president's going to be Trump. You can say it's not, but... <laughs> right? Move to Canada. I don't know, right? Uh, get out before the wall gets built. I don't know, all right? Whatever it is, I, I don't know. It's the same that, that, that Jesus is teaching us here. We don't make Jesus authoritative in our life. He is. And a true disciple responds to him. So as we close this morning, what, what do we do with this? What do we do with this? Okay? This is what we do. This is what we do. Examine your life today. Are you a true disciple of Jesus Christ? Do you have real confidence in your life that you've been set free from slavery to the fear of death? Do you have real confidence that you have truly trusted the Lord as the Savior of your life? Well, what is your confidence based upon? And biblically, it's based upon one thing. Biblically, it's based upon one thing. Is that your life produces fruit and you follow Jesus Christ. Are you following him today? Is he your Lord? If not, I beg you today, be reconciled to God through faith in Jesus Christ. Because it's through faith in Jesus Christ that we can do these things, not by our own effort, but by the grace of God spurring this on in our life. And then probably, right, for, for, a, for a, a 9.30 gathering, Probably most of you in here would say that you are. Well, let me tell you this. Man, is your life, are there some areas in your life where you need to be pruned? Are there some areas in your life where you need to be pruned? 
In other words, is there some sin in your life today? And all this pruning that, that does to produce fruit in our life, the, the thing that keeps us from producing fruit in our life is simply one thing. It is sin in our life. It is disobedience to God. It is, it is either doing something in your life that you know God tells you not to do, or it's not doing something in your life that you know God is telling you to do. And when you do either of these two things, it keeps the Christian from producing the fruit that God's called us to do. So today, if you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, and you know you have full confidence that you are his, is your life producing fruit? And then don't miss this. Don't miss this. There never comes a time in your life when your fruit should not be increasing. Never. Never. So is your life today producing more fruit than it ever has. That's God's design for you. My, my son Boyce is with me. He's 13. And one of the, when, when we scheduled to come out here to come, and I'm very thankful for this, Dr. Anthony, that, that, that when I agreed to come, I agreed under, under these terms, I could bring one of my children with me. I, I have five kids, and I wanted to bring my son, 13-year-old son Boyce with me. I said, so if I could bring Boyce, I'll gladly come. And so you let me bring Boyce, and so I'm thankful for that. We were driving around last night, and, and this, this is what he asked me. He said, Dad, are you ever going to stop preaching? I said, oh, boys, I, I hope not. And he goes, so you're never going to retire? And I said, well, I, I said, boys, what I, what I hope is that, that I always do what God asked me to do. And so he said, so, Dad, right, he's 13, so he's dumb, right? It's just, you, yeah, you, you should have said amen, because you know that's right, right? He's 13, so he's dumb. Uh, so, so he was like, Dad, so you're telling me when you're 90, you're still going to preach. And I said, boys, listen, if someone will let me preach when I'm 90, I said, I'm going to be preaching when I'm 90. And I said, and guess what? I'm going to make you come listen still. Right? And this, this is a great question for you this morning. Is your life today producing more fruit than it ever has? You know that's what God wants from you, Right? What are the biggest trees? The oldest trees. What a glorious truth, amen? Let's bow our heads. As we're bowed and we come to this time of response today, and as Ross comes and leads us, let me ask you, how do you need to respond to the Lord today? Do you know that you are a child of the Lord, that you belong to him? If you know that, then is your life producing fruit? You know, or is there something in your life today that you need to be pruned from? So confess it, that sin, not him. And are you here today, and maybe you recognize this morning that you are not truly a disciple of Jesus Christ. That there's no fruit in your life of repentance, no fruit in your life of obedience. And so today, would you come, confess your sin, and be reconciled to God? through faith in him. 
I'm going to listen to a word of prayer, and we're going to sing a response song, and your pastor will be down here at the front. And however you need to come and respond today, let's respond. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the power that your word is. And, Father, I pray today that you would take your word, and, Lord, you would bring us to response in you. Father, may the lost person find faith, and may all of us that are believers, may we seek to produce fruit glorifying to you because we're yours. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, and in the power of the Holy Spirit that we do so. I love you, Father. Amen.